And just like that, we're back. It's Tuesday morning. That means it's another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. We got a loaded mailbag this morning, just a bounty, all different directions of questions, and we're going to get to as many as we can. You can send a question, joshpate706 at gmail.com. You can also DM me on Instagram, on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh. Make sure you're following there. And I got to tell you right off the bat, I've got access, obviously, to audience measurement tools that you guys don't get to see, but I try and tell you as much as I can. Some of it I'm not allowed to, but let me just let me just fill you in on something. You guys are killing it. Absolutely killing it. We're up in an area of the year where we should be down in total podcast downloads. For example, we're up over a thousand a month from last month. So that means a lot of big growth, but it also means you understand exactly what I'm talking about when I say off seasons are not real. And if you don't believe they're real, it's just like the ghost in your closet when you were seven years old. Guess what? He magically doesn't exist anymore. And so here we are in the middle of May, and more people are listening to the podcast than you were a month ago and the month before that. And it shoots down that whole notion that you're supposed to take a break during the... See that word that almost came out of my mouth. Even though I am not of this society, I have to live in the society. And you hear that dirty O word all the time, and sometimes it almost creeps in, but we don't take the Lord's name in vain or this sports name in vain around here. Oh, and by the way, before we begin, it's not just the podcast version. Our Late Kick Live YouTube version did incredible traffic Sunday night. The kind of traffic we did last Sunday would be great for a regular season show, and which goes back to the message that I've continued to convey to you. Everything around here is free. I'm not sending you to a Patreon channel. I'm not bemoaning people who do. Everyone has to do their thing. Since I'm fortunate enough to work for an actual network here, I don't have to be sending you behind paywalls for a lot of things. The key there is you got to be our marketing department. And as long as you're the marketing department, you hang around, you're listening, you're downloading, you're liking, you're subscribing, you're five-star reviewing on the podcast, and most importantly, you're spreading word of the show with your own mouth, with your own Twitter account, with your own Instagram account. As long as you're doing that, nothing around here ever costs anything. So not only are you guys doing that right now, and I encourage all of you to do that, it helps me, obviously, but it helps you keep all that money in your pocket. And thirdly, It allows us more freedom to go to the high-level mustaches around here at CBS Sports HQ and 24-7 Sports and say, you wanted the audience? Well, there's the audience right there. Now you got to let us feed them, and you got to give us permission to do it our way because that's what brought them to the table. And you are well on your way to getting us permission to do all that and then some. So before we start, I just want to convey... When you do this sort of thing, when you give us this kind of positive forward momentum, you allow us the flexibility to get a lot of yeses, to do a lot of things that we want to do during the season from all kinds of different angles on all kinds of different platforms that will ultimately bring you an experience to where you don't really need to go a whole lot of other places. Everything you need to find, everything you want to listen to or ingest from the world of college football and betting included is right here. So with that in mind, let's dive into the mailbag this morning. Jim is going to get us started. I want you to listen to this one the whole way through because it really hit home at the very end. Jim says, I know having a great quarterback is the base need for success, playoffs minimum, but you could put Tom Brady at Vanderbilt and they'd still stink. So how many teams are out there that would truly benefit from a generational quarterback? I'm a Georgia alum. I've lived here all my life. I go through your hometown of Columbus three to five times a year on the way to Panama City Beach, which makes me the most average Georgian alive. It's so accurate. There's nothing wrong with average, Jim. There's nothing wrong. I've always been rubbed the wrong way when people look down their nose at Panama City, by the way. Some of you are doing it as we speak. And I just want to ask you, search your heart. Why do you have to do that? Not everyone goes to PCB. I understand that. But as a young child, young JP ventured down 431 many a time 
on his way. You got to stop in Eufaula to see the live alligators, but then you continue on your way down to Panama City. Hey, look, not all of us used $100 bills for toilet paper growing up. Some of us had to go to the beach on a budget. They call it bobbing. And beach on budget was how we lived when I was a kid. So I went to Panama City many times. And let me tell you, if you were to look at my power ratings, uh, worst sunburns in life, easily several of the top five are going to be from Panama City. Greatest rounds of putt-putt ever played. Several of those rounds are going to be from Panama City. So I've got a soft spot in my heart for PCB. If you're about the destined life, I've lived it. I like it. Gulf Shores, love it. Used to go to a family reunion down there. I love Gulf Shores so much. I went on a family reunion several times that wasn't even my family. Also where I saw my first tornado. More on that much later. But I say all that to say I love the Gulf Coast. Now, as for the actual question, Jim, you are right. Vanderbilt could not be resurrected with the greatest quarterback in America this year, uh, nor could several other programs. So we can scratch them off the list. But here's what I think about, Jim. I think about the Penn States of the world. I think about Notre Dame. These are programs already top 15 caliber, but you know there's a hard ceiling on them. It's kind of ironic when you look at some of these preseason rankings any given year. You may take a team like Notre Dame, and they're a really good, solid team. They're a very, very good team. But you know they don't have elite quarterback play. They haven't. They haven't under Brian Kelly had elite quarterback play yet. So if you were to go back and look at, let's say, the Ian Book era, or right now, the Jack Cohn era is beginning, if you look at them, you would rank Notre Dame above Texas going into the season, as would I. But yet, if you told me one of those two teams is going to win the national championship this year, I'd actually be more inclined to guess it's Texas. I don't think Texas has much of a shot of doing that. And I think Notre Dame's got a much better chance of making the playoff than Texas. But if I were to look at the absolute maximum potential, if everything were to fall in place, Texas has probably got more dynamic quarterback play, the right guy calling the shots, and a good enough talent roster to where they probably could swing higher than Notre Dame. Of course, they could swing much lower than Notre Dame this year too. So Notre Dame would be one of those teams. I'd love to see a team like Iowa, I think they fit this description. I don't know what Graham Mertz is going to do for Wisconsin. I think they could overachieve this year offensively, but certainly with the returning talent in the wide receiver room, if I were to put a dynamic quarterback, if I were to drop DJ Uyangalale in Madison, Wisconsin, I think that'd be fun to watch. You always wonder about teams like Michigan State. Uh, you could go down to the SEC. Uh, there's a lot of unknown right now, relatively speaking, about the quarterback position at Arkansas. What if I were to drop one of those guys at Arkansas, given all the other increases and, and forward upward trajectory of that program in general, what would major quarterback play do there? How about Texas A&M? How about Texas A&M would be a prime national championship contender, not just a fringe playoff contender. If you could guarantee me elite quarterback play this year, Florida, ditto, Florida State, ditto, Miami, ditto. There are a number of programs uh, USC, if I could know what I was going to get there, Oregon is already going to be a playoff contender. Anthony Brown, we think, is going to be the guy there, but we don't know what level of play we're going to get from him. Washington is the same way here. I think I could probably just spend the rest of the podcast actually asking which team in America, if they had the most important position in all of American sports solved, would be a viable contender this year. That list would be pretty long. So God bless quarterback play and God bless the Gulf Coast. Let's go to Shelly's question. This is kind of interesting and really ties into a conversation I just had within the past week. So I'll share with you what I can. Shelly asked, what do you think about the future of the sports psychology industry in college football? Now, I could have easily paraphrased what she said and just said, what do you think about sports psychology in college football? But I wanted to include the word industry. Shelly did, and I wanted to quote her accurately, but also include that word because she's right. It is 
absolutely an industry, a growing industry, no different than sports science, is every day a growing industry. Data and analytics, every day a growing industry. Some programs take it very seriously. They have several staff positions and a large chunk of their budget carved out for it. Others don't take it seriously at all. But Shelly, most of the big boys do take it seriously. So I was talking to someone this past week about a pretty high-profile position. I don't even want to narrow it down to position, but a, a guy whose name you would recognize in the world of college football this coming season. And we were talking about sports psychology, and we were talking about how this particular player, I mean, he, he has regularly exposed himself to the aspects of sports psychology since long before he was in college even. And I think maybe some people are predisposed to look at that as a red flag or a negative. It's not always that at all. In fact, here's the way the person broke it down to me, and this person has a background in this field. The person said, do you take any supplements whatsoever? Now, they know me. They know I work out every day. So they knew the answer was going to be yes. I said, yeah. They said, what do you take? And I said, well, among other things, I listed a multivitamin. And they said, well, that's a big red flag, isn't it? I said, no, how's it a red flag? I'm doing it so there aren't any red flags. And the person just sat there in silence. And it's one of those deals where instead of calling someone stupid, you just let them figure out that they made a stupid point on their own. Remember, smart people say stupid things sometimes. Stupid people rarely say smart things. And so, I, well, let's hope, let's just hope, fingers crossed, that I was the smart person who stumbled upon the stupid saying at the moment, because then I said, oh, I get it, okay. So this person, the person we're talking about, the position player, is seeing a sports psychologist preemptively so that in the future, they can avoid getting themselves into a bad mental headspace that they need help to dig out from. And they said, yes, no different than when you take that multivitamin. You're not on an episode of My 600-Pound Life right now. You didn't wait until things got bad to start trying to take care of your health. You're doing it even as you're relatively healthy so that you preemptively cut off any risk. And that's the same way that this works, Shelly. Now, we're talking about one person there, and they've independently done it before they were in a major college program. But entire major college programs are doing this, too. Now, here's where I think it's headed, Shelly. As we get name, image, and likeness and the ability for guys to individually profit at different levels relative to their overall brand value, you could have some issues creep into sports. In fact, I don't think it's possible. I think it's very, very likely that you could have in any given locker room some fragmentation where your star wide receiver is making X number of endorsement dollars and and social media influencer dollars and your right guard, which makes it all possible, is getting fractional amounts of that. And you could have some people rubbed the wrong way. I think that's where sports psychology is. How do you make sure that you have enough mental harmony and enough cohesiveness in your locker room when you're introducing new elements into that world that directly impact your locker room and the team chemistry? How do you keep all that balanced? Because I don't care if you're the greatest offensive line coach in the world and you can coach zone blocking schemes till the cows come home and perfect the craft, you probably are not equipped to deal with that side of things because that's not a side of the game that you've really had to worry about at the college level. So someone else is going to have to take charge there and take the reins there. That's where I think sports psychology is probably headed at the college level, Shelley. We roll on here. A quick reminder, I like to mix these in throughout the show instead of doing five minutes of announcements at the front. If you're looking to book a Zoom consultation with me, several of you are doing this now on repeat. I've got some people that are doing them once a week. I'm very happy to do it as I can fit you in. JoshPate706 at gmail.com or you can DM me at LateKickJosh on Instagram, on Twitter. Ask that you follow me there too. I'll fit you in as I can. These are very good. It's very in-depth. We don't waste any time on this. It's one-on-one. -on -one. I do it via Zoom. And it's everything from you wanting to potentially get into the sports media world, to start your own podcast, to start your own YouTube channel, and understanding how to properly leverage this stuff. A lot of you want to make money on it. A lot of you are doing jobs you don't really 
necessarily want to do for the rest of your life right now, and you probably think you have some God-given talent, and you certainly have the passion, you're just trying to find where those areas overlap. Where do those things intersect? Where does passion and talent intersect? Is there potentially a career there for you? Sometimes the answer is yes. You never know until you explore it, though. So hit me up, and we can work on that together. All right, let's continue. I'm not going to answer this one yet. I'm going to push it to the end, only because it's going to be really in-depth, and it's going to be a long story, and I'm not going to mix it right here in the middle of all the college football talk. But a lot of you noticed yesterday was indeed the 25th anniversary of the movie Twister coming out. You know my affinity for that movie. You know my affinity for Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt and Philip Seymour Hoffman and the like, Aunt Meg, shout out Aunt Meg, and you know my affinity for storm chasing. In fact, some of you saw some things I put up in my Instagram story overnight. Uh, That was right when I was watching Twister. I got inspired. Uh, There was some stuff that I'll talk about later on. Okay, so I'm going to push it to the end because I got a really good story I've never told any of you before. I'm going to really, really front out one of my friends. I won't mention him by name, maybe some initials, but I'll put that at the very end of the podcast. So if you're interested in such things, stay tuned. All right, Ben is up next. He said, I wanted to get your thoughts on what a win looks like for Brian Harson at Auburn in 2021. Does he need a winning record? Does he need to beat Bama, LSU, or Georgia? Or is 2021 just about getting culture turned around? Ben, it's, yeah, it's about getting culture turned around. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you record doesn't matter because if he goes four and eight, that's not good enough and that's going to be a problem, not to get you fired or anything like that. But record matters, but it's not paramount in year one. Year one is something that I'm looking at and I'm asking, how big is the problem there? Now, I don't believe there's a big culture problem at Auburn. So not all of these inherited jobs are the same. At Florida State, Mike Norvell he had a situation that was a little bit more unique than what Brian Harson inherited from Gus Malzahn. That was a train wreck down there. This is not a train wreck. You may have inferiority on parts of your roster, and you certainly may need different personnel, but that's not something where you're having to reprogram the minds of all your players. You may even look at the quarterback position and say, Bo Nix, this quarterback as a player is underdeveloped, but he's not a big character issue or anything like that. So, I don't look at it as a year zero like we do with some teams. I look at it as a year one. You've got enough talent on that roster to win, but I also believe it's the hardest job in America year in and year out, and I've told you why before. I'd say Auburn's the hardest job, relatively speaking, in major college football. And as soon as I say it, someone comes and says, nah, it's a whole lot harder to win at Kent State than it is Auburn. Well, it sure is. But you know what people expect at Auburn? A whole lot more than they expect from you at Kent State. So then you could push back and say, well, hey, they got high expectations at Georgia. They got high expectations at Florida. They they do. Well, if you haven't noticed, folks, there's something Auburn has that those programs don't have. And that is being the only program in America that has to play Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Texas A&M. Every single year, Auburn plays them. And you know what else happens every single year for those teams? They finish way inside the top 10, in many cases inside the top five in recruiting. So at Auburn, you got a pretty good roster. You're going to still be at a disadvantage. Unless you recruit at an elite level, you're going to be at a roster disadvantage for a third of your games every single year before you even kick the ball off. That's what you walk in there knowing. Now, if you start recruiting top three classes several years in a row, you can change that tune. But that's what Malzahn was having to deal with there because he was not recruiting better consistently or ever in some cases than Bama, Georgia, A&M, or LSU. And that's what Brian Harson walks into right now. That's why I think it's the hardest job in America because no one looks at Auburn and says, since you have to play all those teams and you're the only one that has to, we're going to lower our expectation level. At least the Auburn fan base doesn't. The Auburn fan base looks at it and says, well, here's how we see it. We invest the same way that our Georgia and Alabama buddies do. 
and you get to recruit in the same geographical area as our Georgia and Alabama rivals do. Therefore, we're giving you everything that those programs are given. We want the same thing in return that those programs can get. That's why I think it may have been kind of dumbfounding for an outsider to look at Gus Malzahn and him getting fired and have you make sense of it. But if you're on the inside, it made perfect sense to a lot of Auburn folks. You may have on the outside looked at it and said, wait a second, the only guy who's beaten Nick Saban multiple times, the guy who was in the SEC championship game a few years ago, went to a national championship game. You're getting rid of him? And their answer was, yeah. And if you ask them why, they'd say, yeah, I will grant you all that. What you said is true. It's not good enough for us. Now, you can question their standards, but what they're going to look back at you and say is, we're not investing a quarter and asking for a dollar back. We invest a dollar. We want the dollar back. We want the return on our investment. That's all we're asking for. And if you don't like it, you're not one of us anyway. So see ya. So Ben, my answer is, do we see tangible improvement? A quarterback position is a good place to start, but do you start to see some inroads made in recruiting? Do you start to see a team identity take shape? Again, even maybe in a loss, do you start to see something tangible that you can look at as a viewer and say, there, well, that's obviously what Auburn football is and is going to be in the future, and it looks different than what it has been. Uh, do you start to see positions be fortified? Do you start to see the sum of the parts provide a result that is greater than those individual pieces? Because that's what you're looking for a good to a great staff to be able to do. And then off the field, I look at Derek Mason specifically, but I look at a lot of their recruiters and I start to wonder, is anyone going to start overachieving relative to expectation? Those are the things I'll start to look at in year one. How's the energy? Are you able to detach the energy and momentum and the forward thinking nature of the fan base independent of what the result may be in the moment? Jeff Collins has done it at Georgia Tech. Hopefully Heupel can do it at Tennessee. Hopefully Shane Beamer can do it at South Carolina. And hopefully Brian Harson can do that at Auburn. Jordan up next. Jordan has a question about trying to find a way to appease the playoff expansionist and to keep the regular season every bit as relevant as it is. I call it a unicorn, but we will answer the question right after this. All right, Jordan says, everyone talks about playoff expansion to improve the sport. I have a different perspective to hopefully help the playoff feel a little more like the BCS era and make more teams feel like they have a shot at something of meaning towards the end of the year. What would you think about expanding the New Year's Six instead of expanding the playoff? Well, Jordan, I don't think it would make much difference at all, only because you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Remember, some of us always valued those games. Some of us think that good football can exist without a playoff sticker on it. But others don't. And so you notice this. Take, take very close observation of this. When you hear that crowd that talks about needing to expand the playoff because that's the only way to get more good football... That tends to be the same crowd that voluntarily, unprompted, looks at any non-playoff game in the bowl season and calls it meaningless. Again, let's repeat that very slowly. Some people tend to go on autopilot when we get into these podcasts a little ways, including the host. You've got a crowd that tells you, I want to expand the playoff. And you say, why? We're fine at four. It keeps urgency in the regular season and gives a postseason format. And that crowd that wants to expand the playoff says, I want more good football. Why would you say no to more good football? And then you look them back and you say, wait a second, you want more good football? They say, yeah. And then you look at them and say, well, how come even though no one instructed you to, you just started jumping up and declaring that every non-playoff bowl game is meaningless? How many times do you hear that quote now? It's a meaningless bowl game. I thought you wanted more good football. You notice, friend, when you call that game meaningless, one year, it didn't matter. 
Two years, maybe still didn't matter. But then four or five years into calling those bowl games meaningless, guess what happened? Players listened. And you know what the players started doing when they didn't make the playoff? They started opting out. So Jordan, here's the problem. Now that those folks have poisoned the well of what is and isn't meaningful in the postseason, it doesn't really matter what we do with the New Year's Six. It doesn't really matter what we call a game. All that people are going to care about now is, is it a playoff game or is it not? It doesn't matter if there's a more prestigious name attached to your bowl game. It doesn't matter even if the purse is bigger or the TV slot is better. Those players don't care about that. An athletic director may. You as a fan may. I do because I like all of bowl season. But enough people have poisoned that well to where a kid is going to look and say, are we in the playoff or are we not? Because I don't care if we're calling the Gator Bowl an extension of the New Year's Six now. I don't care if the Capital One Bowl is part of the New Year's Six now. If it's not a playoff game, I don't care and I may opt out. Again, Jordan, I know that what I'm saying right now makes sense to a lot of people. Okay, Even if you support playoff expansion, you know what I'm saying right now is true. We have allowed the value of postseason bowl games to change because of the playoff. We've allowed that to happen. I don't like it. I didn't participate in it, but we allowed it to happen. But when you hear me start to get a little animated about not wanting to expand this thing further, it's because I have a proclivity not to listen to and not to yield to the opinion of people who wanted the playoff in the first place and now see the results and think that the answer to solving those results is more playoff. Because I don't think more of anything that led to something bad can be a good thing. And before I move on here, let me make sure I crystallize this. Some of you may be listening to me for the first time. I don't think the playoff is the cause of the problem. I think the way people have interpreted the playoff and the way the playoff has been marketed is the problem. Because people allowed the playoff to become the center of the college football world instead of the regular season. And once you made the playoff the center of the college football world, once that's the golden calf that everyone bows down to, and then they place superiority on its format over anything else, well, then you understand the difference. We're coming at it, if that's how you feel, from totally different wavelengths. That's why we'll never agree on this. I don't make the playoff the golden calf. I don't bow down at that. That's not the center of the college football world for me. That's the cherry on top. The center of the world is the regular season. Then they'll come back at you and say, well, that's not the way the NFL does it. And I say, yeah, that's why Sunday exists, man. That's exactly why Sunday exists. Well, that's not the way March Madness does it. Well, that's why you only know the sport to be a March and April sport. How about this? How about we let what is good about one sport exist and not feel like we can blanketly apply it across the spectrum of sport? What if I told you what works in Russian table tennis may not just seamlessly apply in Australian rules football? So Jordan, I hope I've answered your question. My response to it is I don't need an extension of the New Year's Six. I care about the Gator Bowl, whether or whether or not it's included in some mythical classification. I care about the Capital One Bowl, the Citrus Bowl, the Outback Bowl. I'm mainly naming Florida Bowl games right now, but I care about all of them. PlayStation Bowl, if that still exists, the one they play out in the giant stadium in San Francisco where... If you run two feet out of the end zone, you crash into the wall and get airlifted to a hospital. All It could be the name of the bowl game, actually. So all of the bowl games I like. I've never thought we have too many bowls. I've never thought it's a stain on the underpants of college football that a team that barely makes it to 500 can go to a bowl game. I don't care. I'm all about the fact that you got a remote control in your hand on December 23rd, just like I do. And if you don't feel like watching a bowl game kick off at 9 p.m. from Hawaii, 
then turn it off. Go watch a rerun of SVU. I don't care, but I want to watch it. And the kids that are in Hawaii, they're having fun. So you never really hear the words meaningless bowl game come out of my mouth unless I'm referring to someone else's ideology, because that is not the ideology we have on this show. All right, settle in. Here we go. So a lot of you hit me up and you said, hey, did you know today's the 25th anniversary of Twister? <laughs> did I know? I had it marked on my calendar like some of you had that Hale-Bopp comet marked on your calendars back in the day. I mean, it was like my Y2K. Yes, I absolutely knew. I've got it tattooed on my lower back as a reminder. Twister, 25th anniversary, May 10th, year of our Lord, 2021. Now, if any of you, on an unrelated note, have some knowledge in the world of lower back tattoo removal, hit me up on the side. But some of you were asking me about stories, and I tell stories occasionally on here. I've told you several stories about, you know, the, the Beauregard tornado. For those unfamiliar, I've been on a storm chasing team for a long time, way longer than I've been talking college football. And I still do it. Sometimes, you know, the spring season overlaps to where it's not a busy time in the world of college football, as busy at least, so I can get out on the road. But one of you asked me the question that my relatives and loved ones have asked a thousand times, and that is, how could you be so ignorant as to want to get so close to something that could kill you? And it makes a lot of sense. I've always understood the logic of the question. I've also understood my answer to it, but I've also understood that my answer doesn't make sense. In the same way that a lot of you love birthday parties, I can't stand them. A lot of you love going to weddings. I can't stand them. Okay, I'm kind of socially introverted, believe it or not, even though I host a show. I'm not a huge fan of being at parties, you know, like in the center of a room. I'm fine being on stage speaking to a room of four million people, if that were the case. It's a big room. Ooh, heating and AC bill, going to be through the roof. But I am not a big fan of just social settings. I can fake it. I can do fine. It's not like I'm going to freak out in the middle of uh, your wedding or anything like that. Don't invite me, especially if it's in the fall. But I'm not going to freak out. But that doesn't make sense to a lot of people. A lot of people love those things. In fact, most people, most normal people are totally fine in that environment. Well, I'm not a huge fan of it. The same way that that may not make sense to you, and you would never even think about that, it doesn't make sense to me how someone would not be drawn to the adrenaline rush you get when you experience forces of nature. And let me tell you something. There is no experience on planet Earth, at least that I've come across, that duplicates the raw adrenaline rush that you get from witnessing major tornadoes. There's nothing like it. There's also no video technology, even with the 4K cameras we have today, that can capture the violence of a tornado. If you've ever if you've ever seen one in person, you know what I'm talking about, especially at the base of a tornado. The violence cannot be captured on camera. Uh, and independent of the sound and all of that, the violence, you've never been able to capture it. I've watched them and had really, really good camera technology in my hand and gone back and look at the footage I have shot of them. And I think to myself, boy, it seems so much more violent in person because it is. But I've always been drawn to that. It's the best theater on planet Earth. It could do big, big harm to you. I've witnessed it do harm to a lot of people. I've been around a lot of death and destruction in the course of over a decade doing that, most recently here in Nashville and the year before that to the day in Beauregard, Alabama. But that's not the story that I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to tell you to illustrate the point I'm making about how it's not for everyone, and I totally get it, is back in April of 2009, I'm living down in Columbus, and it's a nighttime system that's coming through. I don't chase at night. Nighttime chasing is not my cup of tea, but I'm always on guard at night, even if I'm not out chasing. Well, I decided to go against the grain because there was a tornado warned storm that was coming through uh, Lee County, Alabama, which is the last county right before you get to the Chattahoochee River. And so I'm headed into downtown. This is going to cross downtown Columbus, essentially. And I'm on the phone conversing with a buddy, and they warn the storm. And so I'm about to head into town. And he says, I want to come with you. I said, no, you don't. 
So he said, yeah, I want to come with you, man. I, I like I'm I like the movie Twister, so I want to come with you. And I've warned people before that it's not for you. It's not for hardly anyone. It is extremely dangerous and it's terrifying. For a normal person, it's just terrifying because there comes a moment where you realize your life's in danger. When it's theoretical, when it's in your mind, it sounds cool. When that mechanism kicks in that only kicks in when you realize your life is actually in danger, your mind goes to a totally different place and you're not thinking about the phone call that you had an hour before where you said, I'll be fine. Let me go. I'm cool with it. I'll be fine. Well, you won't be. And he wasn't. But that's okay. I warned and the warning was accepted and signed off on. So I've, I got to swing by this guy's house anyway on the way. So I pick him up and we're headed downtown. This is a tornado warned storm and it's moving through Lee County. And best I can tell on radar scope, it's going to come right through downtown Columbus. So I get on the 13th Street Viaduct. For those of you familiar with downtown Columbus, that's just a bridge that goes right over the rail yard. Now I want you to think about me. Those of you who have listened a long time, you know that I have an affinity for a few things. Uh, but one of them is storm chasing. The other has been train hopping at various points in my life. And here we have a tornado headed towards us, and I'm on top of a rail yard with the best vantage point. So you could hit pause right there, and I would just be comfortable sitting in that very moment for the rest of my life. But here we come. So I've got the WTVM Channel 9 in Columbus, not the one I worked at, a competitor, but friendly competitors. I'm listening to the live feed on radio. They simulcast during tornado warnings down there. Derek Kincaid, who's the chief meteorologist there now, good friend of the program, has been since long before we came here, back when we were independent, when the independent show was just a mere thought in my mind. Derek Kincaid, friend of the program and a friend of the thought, he's on air. And here's the problem. The WTVM studios are less than a mile from where I'm sitting on this bridge. I'm parked on a bridge, then power is cut to the city. So Columbus goes dark. All we've got to go on is the radio signal that is simulcasting the on-air feed. And they're in tornado warning coverage. And so Derek Kincaid's tracking that thing. I can't get a cell phone signal, so I can't get an updated radar scan. So all I have to go on is old DK. And he's tracking it. And every sector scan that comes through, it's getting closer and closer. And then you get spotter confirmation of tornado on the ground. And it's destructive. And it's doing a lot of damage. This ended up being, I believe, an EF2 tornado when it was down in Lee County. And we are right in position. And it's about to come right across the river. And at last check, we are informed via the radio that it's about to cross the river, which means it's less than one or two minutes away from where we are because Columbus is right on the river. And then you hear this. Keep in mind, the station is about a mile from where I'm sitting, less than a mile. Derek Kincaid says, we're actually going to have to abandon on-air coverage. We've got to go to our safe place because this is going to come very close to our studio. And so they go off the air. They just leave the radar scan up for the viewers at home and they go hide. And at that point, here's what we had. We had total darkness downtown and we had total radio silence and we had no cell phone signal and we were in a place we did not need to be. Well, guess what happened to the buddy in the passenger seat that was so gung-ho about 45 minutes earlier about going and chasing the tornado? Freaked out of his mind. And he's frantic and he's asking me, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And I looked at him. I'm as calm as can be. My heart rate is up, but I'm relatively calm. And I said, we are where we're going to go. What did you, did everything I said go in one ear and out the other? It was my purpose to be in harm's way. Now I will freely admit back then I had no clue what I was doing and we were not in a place that we were supposed to be. I had very, very little knowledge of how things work relative to how I do now, but I didn't know at the time. So I didn't know any better. So I was right where I intended to be. Well, he wants out. He wants to hit the eject button and it's too late. So here comes this tornado across the river. It's destroying uh, Phoenix City Bowling Alley over there. I can't remember Dixie Lanes, maybe. Can't remember exactly what it was called. 
But it's coming right across the river. And the last thing I tell him in probably the most calm manner I've ever told anyone in the middle of crisis is, look in the back seat. I drove a, an 04 Toyota Tundra at the time. I said, look in the back seat. There's a blanket back there. Put it over you. Because that's what we coach a lot of people to do if you are in the middle of either a hailstorm or worst case scenario, a tornado direct intercept with a car is just try and cover yourself because glass can really do damage to you even if you don't get picked up off the ground. And so he looks at me incredulously and ends up doing it. That man puts a blanket over his head. So there we are, two adult men. I don't know if we were men. We were adults. And we're sitting on a bridge, downtown Columbus, power's out, radio's out, cell phone's out, tornado coming across the river. And my man is sitting over here looking like a ghost with a white blanket over his head. And I'm sitting there just looking, just looking. And this tornado lifts right as it goes over downtown and then retouches down about a quarter mile behind us in what is the Lake Bottom area. If you know Columbus, it's right next to Columbus High School and does more EF0 and EF1 damage behind us. But I kid you not, we have no business being where we are. This thing lifts at the perfect moment, as it turned out, and I was mad at the time, but it turned out it was the perfect moment for it to lift, goes over where we are and misses the majority of downtown Columbus, goes over the rail yard and retouches down behind us. So then we get back on the road once I realize it's passed and we can see a little bit of it because of power flashes and illumination from lightning. We can see it. We get back there and we can't get in because there are huge trees. I mean, massive. Some of the biggest trees in Columbus are in the neighborhood where that tornado touched back down. But the reason I tell the story, aside from just the ability to tell it, is he didn't realize. My friend, initials JG, you know who you are. He didn't realize how real it was until he was on that bridge. And then he realized, I'm a normal person. The dude in the driver's seat is not normal. So while the person in the passenger seat may love the birthday party setting that I hate, he hated the setting right out in the middle of nature with something that could kill him coming right at him. So I totally understand how a majority of people would not want anything to do with that. I've just always been drawn to it. I've never experienced anything else like that. I've now witnessed six of them in person in my lifetime. I didn't count that one because I didn't actually see it on the ground. So six plus that one. There's nothing like it. There's no experience like that. The force, the violence, and the magnitude, it makes you feel so small. It lets you know how little control you really have over things. And it also shows you no matter how far technology comes, no matter how long man walks this earth, and no matter how many new inventions we create, none of it would stand up to some of the things I've seen. If put right in the path, we don't have anything Aside from digging a hole in the ground or building a triply fortified concrete bunker, we don't really have anything that can stand a chance. With all your knowledge and all your wisdom, it doesn't stand a chance. Some of you may be uneasy feeling that. I just think it's awesome because I've never thought I was in control here to begin with. And so that just kind of reaffirms things for me. But to witness it, it's just spectacular. It's so horrifying and terrible, especially after the fact, uh, if you've been in some of the ones I've been in, but it is in the moment the biggest adrenaline rush naturally that I think exists. And let me, of course, conclude this by saying, please don't chase tornadoes. Good show this morning, Producer Jordan. Hope we got a lot out of this. I know I got a few sound bites out of it, mainly just to send to my weather-based friends and not so much my college football friends. But remember, if you want to book a Zoom consultation, joshpate706 at gmail.com. Also, follow me on Instagram. The, the account continues to grow there. And we're looking to get that thing ballooned up as high as we can so we can do some really, really good stuff on there especially during the season, but really before the season. So at Late Kick Josh on Twitter. Twitter's growing as well. Let's just get those accounts as fat as we can at Late Kick Josh Twitter and Instagram. That is it for me this morning. I'm out of here. You guys have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much for listening. Give a five-star review to the podcast if you haven't already. And God bless. God bless.